Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unconfirmed, the podcast that reveals how the marquee names in crypto are reacting to the week's top headlines and gets the inside scoop on what they see on the horizon. I'm your host, Laura Shin. This episode is brought to you by Quantstamp. Quantstamp is building the first smart contract security auditing protocol designed to secure all smart contracts in a cost-effective and scalable manner. The technology is being developed by a team of PhDs with over 500 Google Scholar citations. To learn more or request an audit, visit www.quantstamp.com. My guest today for Unconfirmed is Vinny Lingham, founder and CEO of Civic. Welcome, Vinny. Thanks, Laura. Great to be here. What's been on your mind recently? Lots. Um, I think specifically just the sheer size of the crypto economy. I think we're up to, you know, 5,000 projects, um, you know, maybe maybe even about seven to 10,000 companies worldwide uh, in crypto, um, representing, I'm guessing, you know, five to 10 people per company. It's probably like 100,000 people working in the crypto industry. And that excludes all the traders, obviously, on, on the exchanges. So I, I think the, the sheer size of this economy is is quite staggering. And what do you think that means in terms of actual value that we're seeing out of it yet? You know, I, I think um, the concerns I would have, I mean, there's obviously lots of pros to this. Uh, there's a lot of companies doing some great things, a lot of projects um, building amazing technologies and pushing things forward. And like, well, as I like to say, it's, it's really uh, tech innovation and experimentation of, on a global grandiose scale. It, it really is. I mean, we've got so many people and companies working on and, and teams working on projects which you know could fundamentally change the way we do um, you know, thousands of things uh, make it more efficient etc the concern that i would have right now is out of all these projects i'm not really seeing you know outside of the the sort of monetary use cases of things like bitcoin etc and maybe icos and ethereum etc um i'm not seeing much adoption of these technologies outside of pilots i mean there's lots of pilots happening and and deals being done on the piloting side. But I'm just not seeing, you know, uh, companies uh, uh, generating enough, I would say, revenue um, and as an investor in, in some of these companies. Uh, I think the crypto economy is very nascent right now, and there's a lot of capacity being built up. So you've got, um, you know, projects that are trying to increase throughput and capacity and scalability, etc. But you know, outside of the crypto world, no one's using this stuff. There aren't any big companies signing these deals. They're all kind of hesitant right now. And even if they were interested in getting things done, the sales cycles are pretty long. So you've got, you know, 12, 18, 24 months maybe before some of these technologies get adopted in into corporates or, or outside the, the crypto world. And we just keep having this oversupply of technology and an undersupply of actual you know, use cases and utility. So that, that, that's the concerning part of all this innovation is like, who's using it? But don't you just think that's a due to the fact that this technology is so new? I mean, it would be really difficult to have this very nascent technology immediately have a huge amount of demand, right? Uh, look, 
I agree. Absolutely. The problem is you've got so much competition in every single category. So every single category of crypto right now has got 20, 30 players. And so they all can't win, right? There's going to be one or two per category that wins and uh, maybe, you know, maybe three or four, but the rest are going to fail. So you're going to have this, which is fine. I think we expect that 90% will fail um, you know, in, in, in the short to medium term, but the winners will win big and therefore it'll pay off the losers. So I think the economy as a whole will probably be okay. But there are just too many companies competing for the same small slice of the of the market that exists today. And some of these markets, um, you know, I know we're trying to create new markets and do things the way they haven't existed. But at some point, there's going to be revenue to fund these companies because they can't sell crypto forever. Maybe they can. Maybe it's just one of those weird things where you can you know, keep selling crypto and funding uh, an economy that doesn't generate any real sort of revenues or value outside of just cool innovation. I kind of think that that's... Yeah, it's a little bit aggressive <laughs> on where things are going. What factors do you think will determine which companies or which projects will be winners? Look, uh, the adoption cycle is critical. So you know, if you've got consumer-focused companies, um, what are the consumer metrics like for those um, for those projects and companies? Like which consumers are using them, how many, how fast it's growing, um, what's the revenue model, if any, et cetera. So that's, and it doesn't have to have revenue, it just needs to have traction. I think that's the other thing. Like these things don't have to generate profits necessarily. It just needs to have usage and traction. And I mean, there's too many of these projects just, just have no usage. No one's actually using it. So the teams keep building this tech, but there's no one really big enough that if they had these users, that would result in anything meaningful. So, you know, I, I think it's, it's there's some really cool things that are happening, but we're very, very early on. And I think that I, my, you know, my concern is like if you think of it at a macro, very macro level, uh, fifty thousand to hundred thousand people working in, in crypto right now. The sort of total salaries that they would be expecting or the money money that they have to earn per month is is staggering. And that that money has to come from somewhere. So it's coming from these companies and projects and these people selling. Uh, crypto or digging into their savings or the other gains from other crypto. And it can go on for a while, but at some point, unless there's an inflow of, of revenues to the sector, um, you, you, these, these ne- the network effect of the currencies itself can only go so far. And so that, that, these, like, you, know, you ask what I'm thinking about, this is what I'm thinking about, how do, how do we make this sustainable as an industry? So you and I were both together at the Multicoin Summit this week. I did not get to go to the whole thing, but I did see the panel that you served on, which was about dApps. And two of the people on the panel really were talking about this more from a developer perspective, and they were really talking about how primitive the tools are for developers. So do you think part of what you're describing here comes from the fact that we're simply at just such an early stage and just to even create a really, really basic product in this space takes developers a very long time because there, there aren't kind of like, um, you know, I'm not a developer, so I don't know all the terminology, but I think let's say like libraries or just different tools that uh, have been developed over the course of the internet don't exist yet for blockchain. That's a large part of it. I mean, it's, it's really, it's difficult to build some of these, um, it's very difficult to build some of these um, apps right now, these dApps. And but again, it goes back to the questions like who's using the dApps, uh, what are they used for, what's the size of the market or the economy that's going to use it. So maybe it's just a too pra- too practically a way of thinking about things. But if you think about three, four thousand projects all competing for for sort of mind share and, and usage time from people and from companies. Um, you can build all these dApps, but people need to use it, right? Otherwise, it has no value. Otherwise, we're just funding through the crypto economy projects to just build things that nobody uses. So 
So, and look, there are exceptions. There are a couple of you know good cryptos and coins out there that that have usage. I mean, IPFS is a good example. Filecoin. I mean, that, that coin's not in trading yet, but there are billions of files going through IPFS per month. So there's there is real usage in that example I mean, from developers, etc. And so, and they're not unique. There are others, but by and large, when you look at three and a half thousand, four thousand coins on you know coin market cap, you know they don't have much usage to speak of, and that. That is the concern. I mean, how do we, how do we, and maybe, maybe the real question is what are the metrics? What are the success metrics for crypto? What do we look at? I mean, we can't be looking at price as the success metric because that's easy to manipulate. <laughs> what, what is the success metric in crypto that we look at? We're going to talk more about Civic and Multicoin Capital, but first a quick word from our sponsors. Founded in the aftermath of the DAO hack, QuantStamp is building the first smart contract security auditing protocol designed to secure all smart contracts in a cost-effective and scalable manner. Relying on humans to audit smart contracts is expensive and error-prone, and with the exploding growth of smart contracts, that solution just won't scale. The team at Quantstamp is developing a solution to audit smart contracts on the Ethereum network in an automated and decentralized way that can scale with the growing demand. Being built by a team of PhDs who collectively have over 500 Google Scholar citations, QuantStamp is paving the way for safer and more reliable smart contracts that will power the decentralized world. To learn more or request an audit, visit www.quantstamp.com. I'm speaking with Vinny Lingham of Civic. So I wanted to ask you also about Civic. You must be thinking about these issues when it comes to the adoption of Civic. How do you plan to resolve that for yourself? That's exactly how, that's exactly the, the, the way where, you know, why, why I'm thinking about these things, because Look, we are building tools and services that obviously companies can use, but we also have a consumer app that consumers download, verify their identity, and use it on, on different endpoints. And so we have to be very cognizant of the fact that if, if people can't use their identity in multiple places, then it has really very limited value. If it's just use it for an ICO, use it to do an investment and do KYC and AML, that's just way too limiting in, in, you know, in terms of the usage patterns that we need to make this thing um, really grow and become a mainstream product. And we had this problem at Gift in you know, my previous company as well. And you know, by adding uh, Bitcoin and focusing on the community and growing it, we actually managed to, to, to get to critical mass um, pretty quickly, I would say. So with, with Civic, what we're trying to do is, and we're launching some stuff in the next you know, two weeks or so, which would give a little bit more clarity as to what we're doing. But we're focusing on real-world use cases. We're not chasing after solving refugee crises right now. I think that, like, that's nice, but I just don't think that the timelines to get that problem solved is, you know, within the scope of what a startup should be. Now, people could argue, well, we've raised a lot of money and so a lot of startup, but it's still, like, I was having this conversation with a VC yesterday, and, and I said to him, I said, look, just because crypto companies are raising 20, 30, 50, 100 million dollars doesn't mean that they're actually Series A, Series B, Series C by definition. And if you look at the definition of what you know, the different stages are. This is 20 years of startup sort of you know, history, right? And learnings. We can throw them out the window and say it doesn't apply to crypto, or we could say maybe there's something there. And I tend to be on the, the latter side of that. So a series, you know, a, a series seed company is basically a company that's got a concept, a couple of founders trying to put together a prototype and they raise some seed money. A series A is you've got this prototype, it works, you can see some you know, you, you can see some sort of uh, path to um, building a bigger business, but there's some good metrics and you need to put some money into the company to to really, you know, test it out. So you raise, you know, two to five million bucks. Series um, series B companies, this is like really growth capital and Series C is obviously, you know, growth, and a lot more growth, put it that way. So 
In the crypto world, we have companies who have raised $30, $40 million, which might be a Series B or Series C, behaving like Series, well, pretending that they're Series B and C companies, but in in actual fact, they're probably a seed, maybe a Series A company where they still have to find product market fit. And so it's a risky for disaster if you have a company that's got so much capital, but they're not focusing on product market fit. What's the product you're building and who's going to use it? And so... This is this is what I'm concerned about is a lot of these entrepreneurs are first time entrepreneurs, they've never done this before, they're able to raise money easily in the crypto world, but they don't really know what they're building, who they're building it for. It's just really cool tech, which again, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And so I, we've been very deliberate about thinking of ourselves as a series A company, you know, as a very early stage business where we have to go and find product market fit. We have to go and do a, a lot of testing, a lot of um product development, user development, and keeping an eye on the fact that just because we've got funding doesn't mean we should behave any differently to the way a Series A company thinks about the business. And how do you resolve that question? Because I have the Civic app, but I just realized, yeah, I don't really know where can I use it? Or, you know, are you trying to get a lot of business partnerships out of the get-go and then from there have them push this onto their users? Or how do you get people to start using the app? That's, so that, that's some of the stuff we're, we're now seeing in the next two weeks where we'll be, we'll be showing some, showcasing some of that. Um, but that's exactly the point. So like, if you look at the refugee crisis, for example, that, that's not going to have a very good lifetime value of a customer. So you, so you can solve the identity problem for the refugees, but once they're in the country, I doubt they're going to be using the Civic app on the corner shop afterwards, uh, right, if, so if, we, if, we, if we went that route. And so the, the problem in crypto is everyone's excited and, 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 and the, the speculators love seeing press releases about deals with governments and deals with big companies. And like, okay, quite frankly, any government deal that you announce is probably means that you're 12 to 18 months away from like delivery at minimum. <laughs> even if it's signed and sealed and delivered. And it's probably a pilot. So you're probably looking two to three years. And then you start negotiating on fees and payments. It's, it's a nightmare. Big companies as well. They, all these big banks want to do pilots so they can look cool. They've got like these R&D labs with a bunch of guys who just have to do like, it's literally just PR work. So they'll run these pilots and nothing will really come of them. And they distract the companies from focusing on product market fit. Because these aren't really your target audience. They're just distractions. But it, it's really good to do a press release saying we've partnered with a big bank because the token price is up 30% or 50% or, or double. So it, it's really, um, it's, I think it's short-sighted when, when, when these projects are focusing on just pumping the price. And that sometimes, well, they want to so they can sell and buy Lambos. I don't know. Um, but in the case of Civic, our goal isn't to promote the price or yeah, you know, we like we don't care about that in the short term. We think that it'll, it'll be what it is. The CDC price will be what it is, and but we have to make sure that this the marketplace is deployed in Q3, and there are actual endpoints and use cases that make sense for people in everyday world to use uh, to use the app. And we can absolutely fail at doing that. We can absolutely fail, and and, and we realize that. But we we're not trying to solve problems that are outside. The, the the sphere of influence we have. So we're not trying to sell to governments. We're not trying to sell to huge companies that can integrate us and take two years to do it. We're trying to get short-term, low-hanging fruit and drive adoption and usage of our product. And the problem is, I think we're in the minority in terms of how we think. And we think, I think there's just too many companies I'm seeing right now that they're, they're just, they're going off to, the, they're basically going big game hunting and they may, you know, they may succeed or they may be starving to death. Like it's, 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 it's really a, a roll of the dice at that point. Hmm. Well, I'm interested to see what announcements you have at Consensus. So you're also a GP at Multicoin Capital, and I want to know how these thoughts are influencing your investment choices through Multicoin. 
Yeah, so I think um, the multiverse is a good, good example of where I think there was just a good um, good fit for me um, taking my expertise in the, in, the, in the industry and joining a, a team of young guys, um, Tushar and, and Kyle, who have built a really good fund, a really good um, platform for investing in crypto. And they have a very good fundamental approach to investing in the space. And so it's a thesis-driven fund. Uh, it's over $50 million now. And we are taking positions and things which we, you know, we, we feel a lot of time researching and doing a lot of debating and, uh, and discussions about. And so, yeah, obviously smart contracts are one of the key areas we're looking at. So you know, EOS is one of our, our big positions and we've been public about it. We've published research around it. So I think it's, it's whereas Civic is focused on the application layer and, and sort of direct to consumer model and trying to figure these things out, Multicoin is sitting back and saying, what are the, you know, if this plays out, who are the big winners in the space? If this is how the market goes, how do we, how do we deploy, um, uh, money from our LP is to get the best, you know, risk-adjusted returns. So it really is a hedge fund in the truest sense, uh, where we're looking for great teams, great technology, solving real problems, and being very, again, very deliberate about where we where we go and and get where and who we get behind. And when you were talking earlier about how there isn't real demand, how are you seeing real demand in the projects that you're choosing to invest in? Well, I mean, look for example, look at EOS. I mean, they've got a, they're launching in June. They've got Thousands of developers um, you know, lined up to start working and building on their stack. They've made practical trade-offs on decentralization versus scaling. And uh, you know, Dan Larimer and the guys and Brendan, etc. These guys are really solid, experienced crypto guys. They, 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 you know, so that, they, so that the technical risk is reduced, the execution risk is reduced. They've got demand from, um, you know, from from developers. They're a developer platform. We think that this, we think that the the product, the platform, makes sense. And uh, I think they're you know, clearly one of the leaders in the space right now going out. Um, but, you know, if you look at the, the smart contract world, there's, there's only a handful of companies that will be successful. It is, it's just impossible for us to have 200 smart contract platforms worldwide that are at any level of scale that sustains them, right? So it, it's going to consolidate into a handful. And we, you know, we're trying to pick the winners in each space. So I think for every sector we go into, we're looking at winners. We think who are going to be the winners and, and why. And we're taking a, a longer term uh, view on things. But... Uh, we do monitor the short term as well because these are liquid trading currencies. It's interesting that you guys are so behind EOS because, as you know, it's a little bit of a polarizing blockchain and there's a lot of criticism. And I know that you are a big proponent of Bitcoin because it's censorship resistant. And yet one of the criticisms of EOS is that it is more centralized and therefore not a censorship resistance. So why are you such a big fan? Well, so so let's understand something. Like one of my criticisms of Bitcoin is I think we've taken censorship resistance to the to the absolute extreme, right? It's like everyone in the world needs to run a node, and that's not true. Like, <laughs> you don't need th- that level of central resistance. You just need it so that that the parties who are uh, participating in the system have no real incentive to collude with each other. And so, how many nodes is that? Do we need uh, a billion nodes? Well, some people think so. Well, they, that's how it's being designed and built for right now. Do we need 100 million nodes? I still don't think that's big enough. Uh, that's more enough. And and so if you look at like Satoshi, where he wrote in the white paper, he thought 100,000 nodes would be sufficient uh, for decentralization. And I kind of agree. I think it's very hard for governments to take down 100,000 nodes running worldwide in a coordinated effort. They can't even coordinate on, you know, on global economy and inflation matters. So, so there's just no way that's going to happen. So that's practical, right? So how do you be practical? Like what's the right size of decentralization for what you're trying to do? In the case of EOS... Uh, they're taking it a bit further. I, you know, they've got um, they've got a, a model which, you know, arguably is a lot more centralized. 
But for what it is and what 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 it's meant to be doing, I don't think it matters. I think the companies that are using them don't really care about, you know, they're not worrying about the central resistance to the nth degree. This is not Bitcoin. This is not central resistance money. This is a platform for developing decentralized applications. So what's the right level of decentralization? Like, what's the right trade-off? In Bitcoin's case, there's just an unwillingness to do any trade-offs. And in Neos's case, it's like, what's the right, you know, horses for courses, right? And so I think it's a more practical approach to solving some of the problems that we have uh, in, in crypto and when it comes to scaling. All right. Well, it's been great having you on the show. Thanks for coming on Unconfirmed. Always good. Thanks, Laura. Thanks so much for joining us today. To learn more about the topics we discussed, be sure to check out the links in the show notes of your podcast episode. New episodes of Unconfirmed come out every Friday. If you haven't already, rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. If you like this episode, share it with your friends on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Unconfirmed is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Elaine Zelby, Fractal Recording, Jenny Josephson, and Daniel Ness. Thanks for listening.